Uh, I'm going to say no one's better than me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let's go. Blow up. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are. And thanks for listening to Locked On Dolphins. This is your host, Kyle Krabs, lifelong Miami Dolphins fan, managing editor of USA Today's DolphinsWire.com, director of scouting at TheDraftNetwork.com. And today is not just the day in which Dolphins veterans report to Davey for their first round of COVID testing, marking the formal opening of training camp. Today's Power to the Pod, which means you guys have provided questions that we are going to talk about uh, throughout the course of the show today. But before we do, there is some housekeeping items as far as it relates to the Miami Dolphins and some transactions that have been made over the course of the last 24, 36 hours and are worth our attention. Uh, And also uh, some opt-outs beginning to trickle in for the 2020 NFL season that are going to heavily impact the competitive balance in the AFC East that does deserve our attention. So, first and foremost, the Dolphins made uh, a couple of roster moves yesterday afternoon. Uh, They placed three players on the reserve-slash-COVID list. Now, what this list is, it is designated for players who have either tested positive for COVID or have been in close contact with someone who has and have been forced to quarantine to ensure that they do not present symptoms and cannot spread the virus to anybody else. Those three players, two rookies amongst them, long snapper Blake Ferguson, defensive tackle Benito Jones, and cornerback Cordrea Tankersley. So, Dolphins veterans reporting to Davey today for testing. Rookies, quarterbacks, and previously injured players could have come in last week, and that is how we get Cordrea Tankersley on this list, for example, is... You know, whether it was contract tracing, realizing someone that he's close to or lives with uh, has been tested, has tested positive for the virus or he himself has tested positive. The NFL is not planning on including that information and and discussing if players test positive or not uh, out of privacy and respect for the players. But it's worth mentioning those three players have been placed on the COVID uh, slash reserve list. Their eligibility will be dependent upon some time and negative tests. But there's nothing preventing, like the Dolphins don't need to go shopping for a new long snap or anything like that because Blake was placed on this list. It's just worthwhile to mention. Uh, Also worth mentioning, uh, we had a waiver wire move for the Dolphins. They're back on their, one of their habits from 2019. Let's just put it that way. Uh, They loved hitting the waiver wire up last year, and they have made their first waiver claim uh, in quite a while, claiming cornerback Javaris Davis from the Kansas City Chiefs. He was a 2020 undrafted free agent out of Auburn. He plays, drumroll please, the cornerback position, not quarterback, cornerback. And of course, the Dolphins are bringing in another corner. Brian Flores proving there is no such thing as too many cornerbacks in your room. Davis at the 2020 NFL Combine. Ran in the four threes, so he's a blazing guy. He was a teammate of Igbo at Auburn, uh, so there's a little bit of an attachment there. And the Dolphins, remember, they had most of their significant brass 
at the Auburn Pro Day. The Auburn Pro Day was early. It was one of the only Pro Days that got off the ground in the spring. Dolphins had Chris Greer, Brian Flores, and Josh Boyer, the defensive coordinator, all at the Auburn Pro Day. And they had the opportunity to sit down and do whiteboard sessions with all of these guys. And and clearly, Davis, who signed after the draft with the Chiefs and was cut, uh, left an impact on the Dolphins. And, and, And hence, he's been claimed. The corresponding roster move that is a cut comes at the tight end position. Dolphins, of course, training this past weekend for Adam Shaheen. The Dolphins are cutting veteran tight end Michael Roberts as their corresponding move. Uh, The Dolphins still have a couple guys left to get above or to get to 80, but they do not need to do so at this point in time. They just have to split the roster to prevent more than the allowable and permissible number of players in the building at any given point in time from exceeding limits. So there is a deadline to get down to 80, but the Dolphins, not, it's not necessarily a firm, hard and fast deadline here and now. It just means once players start coming into the facilities, you can't go over capacity. Lastly, last thing worth mentioning here, player opt-outs have begun to trickle in for the 2020 season, we've seen the Baltimore Ravens had a couple of backups. Uh, DeAnthony Thomas and Andre Smith have opted out for the 2020 season, reportedly. Uh, but five New England Patriots have opted out, including significant starters on both sides of the football. Right tackle, Marcus Cannon, who was treated back in 2011 with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma during his rookie season. Uh, he has opted out. He has been the Patriots' starting right tackle uh, for the vast majority of games that he has dressed for the team, I believe there was 2017 he missed half the season, uh, but like 16, half of 17, 18, and 19, like he's been the starting right tackle for the Patriots, and, and he has opted out, and rightfully so. Every single ind- individual, if they're going to do this season, is going to have to make the decision for themselves what is in the best interest of them, their personal health, and their families. And please don't get angry if any Dolphins decide to opt out. These guys are all grown men with families at home who need to make decisions that are best for them. So we can talk about the dynamics of the Patriots. Also losing Donta Hightower, the impact linebacker, uh, reports from Adam Schefter this morning indicating that he also will opt out, as well as Brandon Bolden. Uh, running back who had a little bit of time in Miami, fullback Dan Vitale, and a backup interior offensive lineman for the Patriots. Five guys, several of them significant contributors. Patriots already were facing a very alarming amount of overturn as the, in, from their perspective alarming, not necessarily our, from our perspective. Losing Tom Brady's not a bad thing. Losing Kyle Van Noy's not a bad thing. But think about the Patriots linebacker group. With Hightower opting out, Elan and Roberts and Kyle Van Noy coming to Miami, Jamie Collins going to Detroit, this is going to be a completely different group. Quarterback, completely different situation. Lose your starting right tackle. You lost your nose tackle in Danny Shelton. It's a very difficult situation that the Patriots find themselves in as they look to continue their dominance. And, and you know, we, we thought, you know, they were going to be a bad team or a middling team. 
They'll float around 500, and then they sign Cam, and there's a little bit of enthusiasm. And now, you know, some of these opt-outs really take the wind out of their sails, it seems. Uh, that if Belichick gets this team now to 10 wins, man, it almost feels like he's impossible to stop on his way to Shula's all-time wins record if, if they get 10 wins this year out of the Patriots. But again, I, I think the more important thing, you know, regardless of whether it's a rival team like the Patriots or our own team here in the Dolphins, these guys, they, they have to make the decision that's best for them. And I hope everybody respects that. I'm going to respectfully dig into the takes at this point in time. Starting first and foremost with one that I don't remember if I got last week, uh, but I would feel mortified if I didn't acknowledge this question from Turd Noodle, five-star review of the podcast. Thinking about opening a Dolphins bar post-COVID in Southern PA, Northern Delaware. Given the rather large amount of Dolphins fans in Central and Eastern PA, do you think the market would be there to support it, or would those filthy Philly fans boycott it? And would you come? I will absolutely come. No questions asked, Turd Noodle. If you set up a Dolphins bar, I will be there. Currently in Northern Delaware now. From Central PA, born and raised. Is there a market for it? I seem to remember there being a Dolphins fan club in the York area. York, PA. So not too far from Lake Lancaster. I think you could get a nice little you could get a nice little buzz depending on where you put it. I'm not gonna give you business advice because well, that's 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 between you and your pocketbook, I'm afraid. But uh if you actually do do this, let me know and I will be there. I have another question from Nick regarding Jamar Chase, who we spoke about briefly last week. Um I've, meant, I've, I've failed to mention Jamar Chase. Is he not a fit in our system? Uh, kind of reminds him of Odell Beckham Jr. Jamar gets a lot of comparisons. And uh, it the really, really good prospects are hard to find comparisons for because there's different pieces of different players' game that you see a lot of. And if the Dolphins walked away with Jamar Chase, I would be thrilled. Um, I would like to see more of a rack home run hitter. Uh, Jamar is dynamic in that area, but he's uh, more of a physical presence with how he gets yaks. So he kind of could be the bridge between what we need more of and what the Dolphins seem to have gravitated towards. Uh, Dolphins fan 120, do you see any chance that Fitzpatrick goes down? Rosen takes the starting job and goes on to be a Dolphin great. Man, this would be like the wild, wacky version of what happened in San Diego with Drew Brees and Phillip Rivers, right? Where the Chargers actually still ended up committing to the second guy they picked in Phillip Rivers. But Brees makes a big leap, and and Rosen obviously does not have that volume of starting experience under his belt uh, to make a direct correlation between the two. Anything's possible, I'll say that, but... I would be stunned that if Fitzpatrick goes down based on everything that we've heard and the Dolphins roster moves, I would be stunned that if Fitzpatrick goes down and Tua doesn't get the first call at this point in time. AL Dolphin, 
Five-star review. Thank you. My question, you've said many times that our strength will be the secondary. On Draft Dudes pre-draft, you talk about the majority of the moves we made with players on the offensive line. I believe your statement was if we do this, our line will be road graders. Do you believe it is true to say that the depth and raw talent on the line is quite possibly just as strong or stronger than the secondary? Props for listening to Draft Dudes first and foremost. Me and Joe Marino, NFL Draft five days a week. Um... They will be road graders up front. I'll say that. Do I think the raw talent of the line is just as strong or stronger than the secondary? No, I do not. Because I think Byron Jones and Xavier Howard is one of the top duos of outside cornerbacks in the NFL. Top five at a bare minimum. Probably, probably top three. I look at the tackle situation. Incredibly raw. I wasn't super high on either one of those two guys. Robert Hunt, I thought, should have played inside. And Austin Jackson, you know, acknowledging what he has the potential to be. These were both top 100 players for me, but they weren't top 50 players for me. Now, granted, I wasn't grading them through the scope and spectrum that the Dolphins were, and that's why I'm not going to sit here and say, wow, they picked Austin Jackson 80 spots higher than where I had him ranked on my board because the Dolphins don't give a shit about my board. Let's be honest. I'm also not grading players through the same scope that the Dolphins are. So their outcome, is it more of a high-variance selection? Yes, I think that's absolutely true. I think there is a lot more that can go right or wrong with Austin Jackson than some of the other alternatives. I do think the the raw talent of these two guys lends itself very favorably to a quick-style passing game and a downhill smash-mouth running game, which is what the Dolphins are going to implement. Uh, The interior, to me, is still not very good. Uh, Eric Flowers getting 10 mil a year. He should be a fine starting left guard, but but Ted Kares, sign him on a one-term deal. I don't think that's a settled position just yet. And the right guard is kind of a wild, wild west. I'd love to see him come out and get, like, Trey Smith or Creed Humphrey or and, and Michael Dieter needs to be a lot better than what he was last year. And I think he can be, but he needs to go out and do it. So because there's a lot more questions with the players at the NFL level on the offensive line, I'm not ready to put it in the same stratosphere of the of the secondary. Five-star review from Dolphin Ray. Someone tell the locked-on lady to tone it down, please. Love the show, Kyle. Uh, so so the way ad, uh, the, the podcast works is I do my recording, I submit it, and then there are roles or, or pre-recordings that are attached to the front, in the middle, and at the end of the show. So if those are imbalanced, don't blame locked-on lady. I'll take responsibility for that, and I'll see what I can do to figure out and balance out the audio. Refreshing, insightful podcast from Elfman. Thank you. No question, though. Just a straight-up review, Elfman. Doesn't need anything from me, just wanted to give me a little love. How about that? Chestnut Brown, five-star. Best place for Finn's news and commentary. Thank you. Question for you. Oh, man, he gave me two. What makes Coach Flo so impressive? A number of free agents quote him as the reason for coming here. Players like Devontae take a whole new level of play under Flores. And honestly, I would feel like I would run through a wall for the guy. I'm so hyped up for this coach. And after witnessing mediocre coaching my entire adult life, should this level of excitement be warranted? I remember being hyped after Gase's first season or during Sperano's run. 
but Brian Flores seems like a gift from heaven. Am I right? Are we finally about to be a respected NFL franchise again? I, I do think you're right in that Brian is different. And the way that Brian is different is very much kind of in the same light that Tony Sperano was different. The coach or the players loved Tony Sperano. And Tony obviously tragically passed away uh, not too long ago. It was the two-year anniversary of his death. Uh, and, he, and he was coaching in Minnesota at the time. And you could see the impact that he had on those players when they paid homage to Tony Sperano. So, Adam Gase, Joe Philbin, that was Stephen Ross. Those were Stephen Ross's two first hires as head coaches. And Ross was chasing Bright Lights, Big City, primetime passing game. Because he went out and he got these guys that have no player relations. And you look at their tenures and it's like, man, these guys could not relate to a cardboard box. They, they'd get cardboard boxes angry and agitated sitting next to them. Whereas Tony, you know, Tony was not as, from an X's and O's perspective, I don't think he's advanced as Brian is. And Brian's young. Brian's still in his 30s. I think Brian's probably a better X's and O's coach, but similar player relations. And it seems like he's more of a CEO from the top down than what Tony was. Tony leaned on the presence of um, Bill Parcells. And they got the quarterback wrong and the wheels fell off the bus. But there was some good talent on those teams, they just couldn't get the quarterback position right because they wanted to take Jake Long instead of Matt Ryan and thought that they'd get the same result from Chad Henney as they could from Matt Ryan. And then the next year, flush the second-round pick down the toilet for Pat White. Make sense of it. You can't. Um, so, yes, I do think you are right in that Brian Flores is different than what we've seen a lot recently. Second question, will Dan Marino get a ring if our current team wins a Super Bowl? What exactly is his role with the Dolphins? Yes, he would. He, he is an advisor in the front office. I go to the Senior Bowl every year. I go to the Combine every year. I see Dan everywhere. Dan is everywhere running around uh, with some of the higher-ups on this team. And uh, he was looking pretty closely at these quarterbacks at the Senior Bowl this past year. And oh, I, I don't want to put any assumptions out there as far as guys that he liked or guys that he didn't, but like Justin Herbert, Jordan Love were there. And you get a chance to see those guys up close and in person. So Dan is very hands-on. And yes, if the Dolphins win a Super Bowl with Dan in the current position that he's in, Dan's getting a Super Bowl ring. Next question. Last question that's showing up on the iTunes reviews from STR13. Love the show. Thank you. Congratulations on the upcoming baby. Thank you. I know you have Baker, Mayfield, Joe Burrow, and then two as your top quarterbacks as you have scouted since 2016. That's the cutoff. Those are my top three guys. Where would you have Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields? Would you have any of these two over Tua? Man, I would say it's really hard to say that with certainty, but we might not get a college football season this year, in which case I'm going to have to say it with certainty one way or the other. 
I will say this, based on what I have seen from Trevor Lawrence, Trevor is likely to supplant Baker and Joe and be the top grade I've given out. Justin Fields and Trey Lentz from North Dakota State are two guys who are young. They each have one year of starting experience. They are both incredibly gifted as passers and athletes, and they will be first-round grade guys. If I were to get a second season out of both those guys, it would give me a much better idea, and I would probably be more comfortable to suggest one of them could challenge Tua for like a top four, top three ranking amongst grades that I've given out since 2016. At this point in time, though, I don't think they would push Tua. So where this came from is I wrote an article on April 2nd of this past spring. I said, over the last four years, I've scouted 64 quarterbacks for the NFL draft. I didn't realize the number was that significant until I looked it up. And as is customary to be asked around this time of year, I'm beginning to hear the questions on how exactly the 2020 class stacks up in recent classes. So I ranked the quarterbacks. You know, my evaluation has has evolved and changed, so it's not a one-for-one. So I went back and I remanufactured the grades of the prospects coming into their respective classes with my current grading system, so everybody had the same scoring criteria. Joe Burrow was number one. Baker Mayfield was number two. Tua was three. Deshaun Watson was four. Those were my top four guys. This list goes on to include Herbert, Rosen, whoops, Trubisky, whoops, Kyler Murray, Lamar Jackson, Jordan Love, Sam Darnold, and Patrick Mahomes. Those were my top 12s. Please do not at me about Patrick Mahomes. And the reason why is I will read you exactly what I said about Patrick Mahomes because I will defend my honor before any of you dare question me on it. Tech quarterback Patrick Mahomes has the high... I wrote this before 2017 draft. Tech quarterback Patrick Mahomes has the high ceiling of any quarterback in the 2017 class. The conundrum with Mahomes is one similar to that that faced Johnny Manziel coming out of Texas A&M. Mahomes is at his best with easy reads or when play breaks down and he is allowed to freelance. Mahomes has the physical skill set to be an all-pro and the arm talent to drop throws in from all angles, yet he currently struggles with timing concepts and full-field reads. Prior to the draft, Mahomes must prove that his style of play is a product of his environment at Texas Tech and not the other way around. If it is, there will be a steep learning curve to accommodate for such a stylistic class in preferred play and running a fully functional, sustainable style of offense. Mahomes is a true boomer bust player, and if he's able to mentally recondition himself and gain consistency in his mechanics, he will be a star in the NFL. Okay, so yes, he ranked 12. I hear you. But over four years, that's an average of QB3 in a class. I had top three that year were Watson, Trubisky... Mahomes. I'll take two, two out of three ain't bad for top three guys. Where would Lawrence is probably going to land one on this list. He's got two years of starting experience already. I don't need to watch him play another game to know who he is. He's much like Mayfield in that the bad plays for him in college were because he gets greedy, not because he doesn't know what's going on. There's the, there's, Joe Marino in our, our TDN scouting staff meetings, he, he worded it as just the right amount of arrogance in his arm. There's a certain confidence that I can make any throw in the field. Trevor's still learning to walk that line, but he checks every other box. I think the hype around him is very substantial. If I think about 
Fields, based on Fields' play last year. If you Xeroxed it, if I got another year of that exact same style of play, he's probably checking in at six, six or seven. He'd probably check in ahead of Rosen and Trubisky and Kyler Murray. Um, just because I think he's he's not dissimilar from Kyler in that he's capable of winning with his legs. He's got a baseball arm. And what I mean by that is you, you watch like shortstops, like turn two at the second baseline, right? And just how they kind of sidearm these throws. They're drifting away from where they're throwing. They generate a ton of heat on the ball. Kyler was like that as a former baseball player, and Fields is also very much like that. Uh, but he's only got one year of starting experience. The Ohio State offense makes it very straightforward for him to execute the reads. And because of those options, um, he's probably would be he's probably not going to push Tua to answer your question. Twitter questions lightning round is here. Tan Marino. I love it. Huge fan of the pot. I'm a huge fan of you. Where would you rank Austin Jackson among offensive linemen to come out in the last three or four years? Um, well, he was like OT7 for me this year. Um, he's probably, he'd be a, a top 75 guy is when it, the, about the range where I'd have been like, yeah, it's probably about right. As far as kind of the risk and, uh, the variance in his play on any given year. Uh, I find it hard to imagine him being the fourth offensive line drafted in any other year. Uh, if other teams were picking, he probably wouldn't have been the fourth offensive lineman drafted this year either. I personally would have loved to have seen them go with Cesar Ruiz at 24, but they wanted to prioritize offensive tackle. Okay, now now you got to go out there and develop. Jack Ross, Finns did not select a running back in this draft, but we added two vet running backs. Did we make out better with Jordan Howard and Matt Breida? How do the strengths and weaknesses of, say, the top three or four backs Stack up versus Howard and Breida. Competent running game is very important for the development of young quarterbacks. Yes, it is. I would say this. Um, I think just from a positional value standpoint, the Dolphins seem to prioritize high-value positions. Offensive tackle, quarterback, cornerback, penetration-style defensive linemen. Well, these Running backs, you know, they say running backs don't matter. And, and the fact is they do matter. But running backs, their skill sets are very easily replicated, believe it or not, despite how bad the running game was last year for Miami. So a downhill guy, you can find a lot of these guys that can get four yards of carry just by sticking their face in the fire anywhere. And, and the Dolphins, you know, paying Jordan Howard to be the bell cow, $5 million a year, is fine value when it's a two-year deal. I think you could have gotten a skill set that was probably more both Breida and Howard combined in a single player with a guy like J.K. Dobbins. But uh, running back by committee is going to be fine. And I think they, I don't know about better because I don't think it's settled in the long term, but I think the Dolphins' running back situation as it stands right now is fine. Uh, Jesse, Dolphins will win their first playoff game since the year 2000 if two is what we think he is and Tua stays healthy. I think a good quarterback play. We've got a good coach. 
We've got a reinvigorated offense. If we have a young, exciting quarterback that is as good as he has been advertised to be, I think the rest of the pieces are there for a 9-7 and seven slip in and maybe win a playoff game. Kyle, good name. What's the chances you name your daughter Tunga Vailoa Igbenogany Krabs? I feel like that name is unisex. <laughs> um, it's low. Uh, we have settled on Madeline. I'm calling her Maddie. And she will be the NFL's first woman general manager. And I'm very excited for that. Uh, Layton. Now that Jamal Adams has officially been traded, that's another can of worms that we need to get into. Uh, what do you think? Who do you think is in the Jets secondary that will give the Dolphins the most trouble? Um, I already felt the Dolphins were going to sweep the Jets. I really feel it now. Got rid of your best player. You still have bad coaching. You, yep, that's... Mm -mm. Nope, I'm not going there. Okay, Jason. Who was a prospect taken by the Finns that you were sure was going to hit but never did? I was sure John Avery was going to be the next big running back for the Dolphins? Man, that's a great question. Okay, um, let me put my thinky cap on here, take a little walk down memory lane. I would call out, one name I would call out that I had a big crush on is college tape, and I was a young scout at the time, so I was 23, so let's not be too harsh. I really loved watching Billy Turner's college tape in North Dakota State. Uh, he was an ass kicker. And, and Billy, to be fair to Billy, Billy has also gone on. He's still a high-variance player, but he's been a starting guard for Denver and Green Bay ever since Gase cut him in October of 2016. I thought he was really fun. I thought the Dolphins kind of yanked him around a little bit between playing guard and tackle and didn't really get him settled in. And It seems like he's been given the chance to settle into guard and is at least a, a serviceable starting player. Uh, but he was a blast to watch. Uh, Jordan Phillips was another one. You could tell the potential was all there, and just the motivation, you know, hasn't really been. You know, he played motivated this year in a contract year and went out and got nine sacks. And it's like, damn, dude, can you do that all the time? Because if you could, you'd be in great shape. Uh, Jay Metch, what are you most looking forward to hearing, learning about this training camp as it pertains to position battles and team improvement? Where can one get the best info to stay informed? Thanks for the constant Dolphins education. You are welcome. Thanks for listening. Uh, it's tough because there's no like live tweeting allowed from practices for those who are going to be there to cover it. Uh, and because of that and because of some of the COVID restrictions, uh, I was hoping to get down to camp, but the restrictions and access limitations have just kind of made it, it would be redundant. I can tap into Zoom calls and sit in on all the interviews that I would get otherwise. So... Uh, I'm not planning on going down for camp. I would still like to go down for a couple of games for coverage this year. Uh, what am I most looking forward to hearing about? Probably just how the injured guys look, how Preston Williams looks, how Tua looks, how Albert is Albert Wilson back to having any explosiveness in his game, or is he just kind of an agile short area guy? That's the biggest thing for me, obviously, side of offensive line chemistry and development. Ben Wolf, Solak wrote a great article on Jerome Baker and how he's looking to take the next step and be even better. Is Baker more vital to this defense than McMillan due to his versatility? Is there one you would rather see extended long-term over the other? 
yes, for me, I would rather have Jerome. If I can only have one, I would like to have them both. But if I can only have one, I think Jerome is more of a three-down linebacker in today's NFL. Green dot guy, so big leadership, big communication, uh, big football IQ. Not to say that Raekwon's not, uh, but Jerome can impact the passing game a lot more, and he would be the guy that i try to lock in if I could only get one out of the two. Kevin, what is your all-time Miami Dolphins starting 22? Sir, this is a full show concept, so we're going to do it later this week. Mike Samuels, uh, what are the odds we see Baby Gronk, a.k.a. I'm, I'm presuming we're talking about Adam Shaheen, bulking back up to 270 range and becoming a blocking machine. Also, have you watched any of the Gailey Tony Gonzalez tape? I feel like his game translates to Gusecki. Am I crazy? Probably a little bit. I think Mike Gusecki entering year three, getting comparisons to arguably the GOAT tight end of all time, is rich. It's very rich. It's ambitious, though. I like it. Um, I think that's your best case scenario, right? Is that, that Gusecki becomes that dynamic of a player in, in all areas and phases of the receiving game. I thought Tony was more smooth than Mike, personally, from my personal memory of Tony Gonzalez. Uh, but I'll, I'll go take a peep. I'll go check it out. Uh, Baby Gronk Shaheen, yeah, I mean, he's. let's be honest, he's probably not going to be a huge impact in the passing game, not with the Miami Dolphins running so much 11 personnel, so I think that's his best pathway for success. Uh, Terrence Johnson, how would you rate Steven Ross as an owner? I think he's done what you want an owner to do, sign the checks and stay out of the way. Yes, but it took him a long time to get here, didn't it? Uh, the, f- the first 10 years of Ross's tenure as the owner of the Dolphins involved a lot of growing pains, a lot of uh, difficult lessons, a lot of structural changes required in the front office. My biggest gripe with, with, with what Ross had done through the first 10 years of his tenure is he had this horizontal chain of command where everybody responded directly to Ross. And then that way, when the expectation is to win 10 games and go to the playoffs, and you go 7-9 or 8-8, eight and eight, Jeff Ireland's going to call up Stephen Ross and say, hey, that coach isn't doing his job. And Joe Philbin's going to call up Stephen Ross. He's going to say, hey, Jeff Ireland's not doing his job. I need better players. And all of a sudden, instead of everybody working in a horizontal chain of command and having the person above you clearly to answer to, the person above everybody is the owner of the team. And it created this mass chaos and infighting and and counterproductiveness and these battles for power dynamics of Don Aponte and Joe Philbin versus Jeff Ireland. You know, it was Ireland versus uh, Sperano, and Ireland wins that. And then Philbin comes in, and Donna Ponte jumps in, and she teams up with Ireland, and they get Jeff Ireland out of the building. And then uh, we get the Dennis Hickey era, which was very short-lived. One and done. Dolphins make sweeping changes across the front. So I think Steven has done a really nice job of kind of learning from his mistakes in football ownership. And I think he's in a much better position now where he's He's invested a lot of dollars into stadium upgrades and the facility upgrades that are going to be going down in Miami Gardens instead of having team facilities 12 miles from the stadium. Uh, I, I would say Stephen Ross is much better as an owner now than what he was five years ago, for sure. couple more. Uh, there's more here, and I'll tackle some of these tomorrow because we went long on the news at the beginning of the show. Nameless Jester, 
What are some of the most Dolphins wins or losses you can think of from the past decade? Uh, the most Dolphins-type wins, I'd say, you know, Miami Miracle. Just miraculously finding a way to give the Patriots a hard time in South Florida. I think back to the... Uh, do you guys remember the game against Minnesota? It might have been like 15, 14, 2014. That sounds right. And they won on like a blocked punt for a safety at the end of the game. <laughs> that was one that stood out to me as like, of course, these, these stupid ways. Cameron Wake's walk-off sack. Just like wild, weird ways to win football games. The most Dolphins losses are every Dolphins loss that this team has had where they controlled the pace of the game and they let it get away from them. I think about the Monday or Sunday night football game against the Saints back in like 2009, 2010, something like that. Uh, they jumped out big. Uh, they played Peyton Manning in the, I think it was the Broncos one time, and the Dolphins held time of possession for like 42 minutes and lost the game. Uh, the loss to the Tim Tebow Broncos. The loss to Russell Wilson a couple years ago in which... Uh, they lost in, in Seattle. They were leading and, and gave up a game-winning score. Cam Newton in 2015, 16, or 17, whichever year they played Carolina, in which they were winning at home, and just the, the wheels fell completely off the bus at the end of the game. Like, two-minute drill, they lose the game. I remember when they were playing the Texans. They couldn't... Um, they got spread out on a two-minute drill, gave up a Matt Schaub sneak up the middle from the two-yard line, and it's clear as day, like everybody's in bunches, like outside the numbers, and it's just like Miami's got three down linemen and a single linebacker against the five offensive linemen and the quarterback. It's like, hey, they're going to run a draw here. Like you might want to get some extra bodies out there. And uh, the, the Joe Philbin queasy game. I also think to some of the season-ending games, like uh, this team's seven and six, and they just poop their pants at the end of the year. And just can't can't close the year, and it's like, all right, let's get to five hundred, maybe get a winning record. And it's they got embarrassed by the Jets and Bills a couple times late in the season against teams that that weren't as good as them, to be completely honest. So there's a lot of that. So Dolphins type losses, and that's where we're gonna end today. Now that you guys got me going down memory lane and information overload, I got a lot of games swimming through my head here. But let's just remember. 2019, Week 17, Foxborough, Fitzpatrick to Gusecki, touchdown, Dolphins win. That's the only win, that's the only game that I need to think about to brighten my day. I hope this podcast brightened yours a little bit. This is Kyle Krabs signing off for Locked On Dolphins. Thanks, as always, for listening. I hope you keep it locked in right here on Locked On Dolphins throughout the rest of the week. Thanks for listening.